Welcome to Seriously Authentic, the most authentic place on the internet. I'm your host, Larissa Victoria. The number one regret dying people have is that they weren't more authentic. I'm on a mission to change that one person at a time. Authenticity is more than a buzzword. It's being brave, breaking the rules, and knowing your self-worth. Join me as I sit down with the most authentic people I know and ask them exactly how they are living their truth. Today, my guest is Kaylee Alyssa. Kaylee is an embodiment coach, and Kaylee guides women to rediscover how to tap into their innate power to create more pleasure, more success, and more magnetism. Kaylee's founder of her own app, the Kaylee Alyssa app, which features movement, meditation, yoga, and more. And this year, Kaylee launched her first Yoga Nidra teacher training program, the Academy of Yogic Sleep. This episode is extra special as Kaylee has been my mentor and coach for the better part of 2023. And re-listening back to this episode, I was really struck by how much I shared vulnerably about myself, and I'm really excited for you to get to know me better. Kaylee and I chat about how your sex life is tied to your career, how to create non-sexual intimacy, how people-pleasing is an epidemic that needs to change, and what it's like to really share vulnerably about your romantic partnership online. So on that juicy note, let's dive in. Here's the episode. Kaylee. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Tell me about your big mission in life and why you choose to pursue that mission. Whoa, just dropping a bomb right at the beginning. <laughs> I know, I know you can take it. Yeah, I can. Um, my big mission in life really is to work with women and to help them be successful in all realms. And mostly I like focusing on relationships, as you know, that's relationship to your partner, relationship to yourself, relationship to your career, your business, relationship to your finances. And so it's really about connecting to the practices that you know that work if you work them and experiencing a more abundant, more successful, more radiant, more beautiful life. And this is my passion because I've done it for myself and I want to help other women to experience that as well. And so it's a deep, deep well of service that comes from me that I just feel so fulfilled and so excited about what I am doing and about who I get to work with and connect with along my path which one of those is you. Yes. And I, I want to get into all of that. And I'm curious if we could know one piece of context for people that don't know you like from your childhood or something that really influenced you in life, what would that one thing be? Man, again, another big question. I'm going to say my ex-boyfriend. I was in a very tumultuous on-again, off-again, five-year relationship. I went from marrying my high school sweetheart, dated him from 14 to 24, And then I got married. And then I went from that to moving to Los Angeles, getting a divorce and being single for the first time in my life ever. And I swung to the opposite end of the pendulum. I went from a very nice, trusted type of a human to a very sort of tortured human who uh, struggled with addiction and a lot of self-esteem issues. And that manifested in many, many ways in our relationship. And not placing blame or anything. And the reason I'm mentioning him in this relationship is because he has been to date my biggest teacher for this lifetime. And what he taught me, which is valuable, is how to use my voice, how to express myself. My center of expression was completely blocked. I didn't know what I wanted. I couldn't hear my intuition with him. I could, but actually I just like shoved it down in a way. All the all the signs and all the messages were like, this isn't right. You're not safe. I was like, eh, eh, eh. And eventually got to a point where I couldn't even hear it. It was just silent. 
And so he taught me how to reconnect with my intuition through all of my experiences with him, how to find my voice, how to speak up for what I wanted and needed, how to even figure out what I wanted and needed, what was okay and what was not okay. So really, I look at him as I was like forged in a blazing fucking fire. And I came out not indestructible, but I came out just so strong and wise and connected to myself. I came out so connected to myself. And so that's my biggest takeaway. If you can know anything about me, it's that as you see, as you hear, relationships are really a big part of me and my history and my experience and what I learned from. And so that relationship in and of itself was a pivotal moment for me in my life. When that relationship ended, what was that like for you? Well, the final time or one of the other many, many times it ended, (laughs) we had so many on and off, but the final time was really easy. And all the other times were really hard. I always came back to him. I couldn't couldn't quit him. I would break up with him and then a few months later, go right back, even if I started dating someone else or whatever. The time that I was finally able to really end it with him was simple. I threw my back out. I had a shoot with Aloe Yoga, three-day shoot. I was filming a new program, a new series with them. And after day one, I threw my back out and I couldn't move. I was on the couch all day and reached out to him for support. And he wasn't there. He wasn't there for me. He didn't respond all day long. And I was watching him post stuff on social media, way swimming and handstanding in a studio with the pool and all this stuff, you know, and here I was like, I need help. I need to go to a doctor. I need a chiropractor or something. And he wasn't there for me. And of all the other things that happened in our relationship that were seemingly much worse than that, that was the thing that really opened my eyes and made me see like, he's not there when I need him. And this isn't what I want for my life. This isn't what I envision for myself 10 years down the road. I don't want to be in a position where I need my partner and he's not there for me. And so that was the thing, the sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And so it made it really easy. It made it really easy for me to walk away. And like I said, there were thousands of other things that other people would be like, why didn't you leave that? <laughs> um, but I didn't because I had to learn some of these lessons many times over. Um, and I had to go through cycles with him, um, you know, so that I could learn them finally, like for what's the all and not have to do them again with someone else. I've been thinking a lot about this too, how there's not a lot of tools and resources for breaking up with someone you've been with for a long time and how that does happen. Like we do go back And what was it inside of you that allowed you to walk away at that moment? Like, did you feel safe and secure? Did you know you wanted something more? Like, what what was it for you? Yeah, I mean, the whole time I was with him, I knew I wanted something more. But he would give me glimmers of that something more. And I could see him in such a positive light sometimes. Like, when he was on, he was on. He could be a beautiful human if he wanted to be. But I was in love with the idea of who he was, who he could be, not who he actually was at that present time and moment. I was in love with who I wanted him to be, who I could see him becoming. And once I finally realized that he wasn't that person and he wasn't going to be that person, at least for the foreseeable future, that was sort of final for me. And also, to be truly candid, I had met Ben. I had met my partner, who I'm with now, my baby daddy, the love of my life. And, but we hadn't, we hadn't hung out. Ben lived in Santa Cruz. We had met at a coffee shop for like a three minute hide. He sat down by me and a girlfriend got up and walked away. That was it. But something in me knew that he was, he was my person. And we didn't talk. Like, in fact, he reached out to me on social media a few times. I ignored him because I knew that I had to really figure this out with my current partner. 
And yet that thing inside of me was like, this is so easy. This is so easy. This decision is so easy. And so it was helpful for me. And yeah, I bounced from one relationship right to the next. And I have kind of my whole life, really. And so this is it's a big part of my astrology. It's a big part of my charts. If you look at all my stuff, it's I learn through relationship. I learn through being in relationship. And that's how I move through this life. So yeah, I think the things that made it really simple and easy and final were realizing that I was in love with who I wanted him to be and not who he was. And then also having that knowingness inside of me that there's another person out there for me that is who I want them to be now. I was reading this Vanity Fair article with Giselle Bündchen. You know, she d- is divorcing Tom Brady. And she's just talk- such a fox, that woman. Giselle, I know. How? How? <laughs> yeah, we're here, Giselle. Um, <laughs> she was saying that the hardest part of it was the dream and the sacrifices that she had made for that dream, thinking that this was her life, right? Like the marriage, the kids, the the foundational, the building, and that that was almost harder than letting go of the person. And you reminded me when you said that, this idea that we fall in love with. Right. I think in that case, it's almost like regret about what she could have done had she not gone along this path and had this dream. And I don't have that. I don't have regret. I didn't miss out on all of this stuff because I was with my ex. I'm very much owning my side of the street. And um, there was a lot of things I didn't do right in that relationship, (laughs) you know? And Yes, I had a vision for us and I had a dream for us and it didn't happen. And I'm okay with that. And it wasn't hard for me to let go of that dream per se. For me, it was harder to let go of the person. But we had a lot of codependent. There's a lot of issues there in our relationship. It was a very unhealthy relationship, very unhealthy dynamic. And so, you know, when you're in those dynamics, it's harder to, it's an addiction. It's harder to break. It's something that really conscious takes conscious effort. I respect Giselle and where she's at in their relationship and how that ended. And I'd love to read that article and see, you know, see if there's anything else in there that I can resonate with. Or Another thing that you mentioned, and I, I love that you brought this up because I, I feel as though there's a little bit of a stigma around like once you leave a relationship that you should be single for a year or that you should just focus on yourself and date yourself and have self-love and Don't get me wrong, all of those things are incredible and and deeply healing and maybe a path for someone else. But to the people that maybe don't resonate with that, like, how do you feel about that? I think it's beautiful. And if that's your path, great. And yeah, I mean, it's healthy to get to know yourself and it's healthy to have time to devote to learning who you are and what you want and figuring all of those things out. And it's very easy to do when you're single to figure those things out. And you've got time and space for that. And that's a beautiful thing. And yes, of course, I would recommend that. And if that doesn't happen, and if you go into another relationship, I think the main thing is that you're looking at your patterns, you're looking to see what is the common theme? What are the common issues I'm having from relationship to relationship? Because the common denominator in all of those relationships is you. And so making sure that if you are going from one to the next to the next, you're not just bringing your baggage from one person to the next person to the next person, right? You have to learn, we have to change and we have to grow. That's the most important thing. If you are sort of a perpetual relationship person, then making sure that you are looking at your stuff and that you're not repeating the same negative patterns that you had in the last relationship in your current relationship. So the onus is is definitely on you to do the work so that your partner doesn't have to experience the negative patterning. Does that make sense? 
That makes sense. I think you, again, reminded my therapist once said that it's it's so unkind to judge someone against someone else that you've dated or to go in with yeah. assumptions that they're going to be the same person. But yeah. I also hear you you're say the- that, <laughs> yeah, you're, you shouldn't make assumptions about who you are in that relationship either based on your other, your baggage. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really important to just look at what, what's the common threads? What are you, what are the same issues repeated from person to person to person? Because that's your material. That's where you need to work, right? That's what you're bringing to the table in essence. And on that note, I want to talk about how you are authentic and open about all of these things on the internet and you do have a presence online in the community and you talk about sex and you talk about you and your partner, Ben, and I, you talk about the sweet moments, the tender moments. And you also talk about the moments that aren't so sweet, those sticky, crunchy arguments that come up. And I'm curious, like, did you have a conversation? I think you mentioned this once, like with your partner, like, is he comfortable like having you share so vulnerably online? That's a great question. Yeah. You know, when I first started sharing about my relationship with Ben, I didn't have a conversation with him about it. I just started sharing and he actually approached me and was like, I'm really uncomfortable with this. Like, this is, this is my life and this is very intimate and private stuff. And I like, you put this out there today. And like, some of my friends were commenting and like sending your post to me and being like, you know, he felt a little um, emasculated because he wasn't involved in the process. He didn't have a say in what I posted or what I said. And so I worked with Ben to get to a place where he sees the value in the things that we're learning in our relationship and sharing that with other people. He's seeing that we really are good at growing. We really are good at a lot of things. And when we share that with others, it's helpful. And so that was one piece of the puzzle that sort of helped him to soften. The other piece is me asking permission, asking permission and getting consent from him. It's huge. Not just assuming that because, you know, because this this is my work and this is what I focus on, that it should be okay with him because that's not the case. I have to ask his permission every single time I post something about us. I let him look at the copy. I let him see what I wrote. I involve him in the process so that it's a co-creation and it's not just my energy. It's both of us. And that helps him to feel safe and connected and like he knows what's going on and he's not sideswiped. And that's a really important piece. I'm so glad that you asked that question. It's very important in relationship and in any relationship always. This is something I learned from my coach and mentor, Marla Mattinson, is always get consent. Always. I'm thinking about so many people who that are listening that maybe like want to share more about them and their partner or their inner Mm -hmm. worlds. And that I think of me when I'm thinking of this, and this is some of what we worked on together, but like that they just never even ask because they just don't want to bring it up. They're afraid. Yeah. They never ask their partner. Is that what you mean? Yes. Well, you know, would you rather regret not ever doing it? Do you want to sit with that feeling or do you want to sit with the feeling of walking through fear? You know, I like to lean into those growth edges. You know that about me. I'm someone who's like, ooh, uncomfortable situation. Let's go. (laughs) And there's people that aren't good in those scenarios. There's people that really are, are awful with, you know, any type of confrontation. That's very scary for them. And so something that I love to think about in this realm is I like to think of when when there is a situation like that, when there's something that you're really afraid of doing, you walk into it, you lean into it, you're like, I'm just going to go into this. I like to think of it as growing. You're growing. You have a goal in mind. You have an outcome in mind. You have somewhere you want to get to that's better. 
And so wouldn't it be amazing if you could talk to your partner about something like that? Because what does that do at the end of the day? It builds intimacy between you and your partner. It brings you closer together, right? It's a way that you want to connect with them. It's the way you want to go deeper with them. And so you're afraid to go into the depth. Why? Why is that? What's the fear behind that? Can you, because for anyone who's on the fence and is afraid, talk more about that intimacy. Like what has changed since you started like what your coach taught you, like getting consent and involving him more, co-creating? What's changed in terms of my business or our relationship or? I mean, everything. I have another question <laughs> that I want to ask you about how how your sex life is like directly related to the abundance of your business and your clients and everything that, going then. on. <laughs> yes. Let, let's talk about this. Um, and just for a little background for the listeners, during me and Kaylee's time together, we were working together, Kaylee brought up that if there's any aspect of your life that is out of alignment or lacking, including for me, my sex life, it's going to be affecting my business as a coach and my happiness as a human. And it blew my mind because I just thought of business and personal as this two separate things. So tell the listeners about this. Yeah. So this is something I'm actually really passionate about, as you know, and I'm working on a mastermind in the background myself right now. And this is a part of it. So our in yoga, we have energy centers of the body and yoga and in life, whether you believe it or not, there are energy centers in your body. <laughs> there are centers, we have these, these things called energy channels in the body, nadis, and there are some like 72,000 nadis in our body. And where these nadis intersect in major points in the body is along the spine from our crown to our, our root. And there are seven of them in traditional yogic philosophy. Now with human design, there are actually nine energy centers in the body. We have the splenic and one other that were added. And so these energy centers of the body um, can get blocked. They can get congested. If you think about a light bulb, a clear light bulb, it gets film on the top of it, right? So we've got the energy of the light bulb that's emitting strong, strong, beautiful light. But if there's gunk and film over the top, we can't see it. It's there, it exists, but sometimes it gets blocked. And so our second energy center in the human body is our creative energy center. It's our center of flow. This is where your uterus is located if you had a uterus. And if you don't, it's the same part of the body, the same area. This is literally where life is created. Life is created in our human body. And so our creative energy is not just reserved for sex and for building life. It's creative energy for our career. It's creative energy for our businesses. It's creative energy for building a mastermind or launching a podcast. It's it's anything like that. And so oftentimes with entrepreneurs um, and entrepreneurial couples, what happens is you use all of your creative energy for your business and you have none left for your partner. You lost all your juice. By the end of the day, you're tapped and you don't even have a turn on anymore. You're like, it's like this asexual, I have no sex drive even that, that's gone. And every single client I've worked with since I started coaching again these last two years, has been experiencing that issue, every single one. So this told me there's a big need for women to learn how to harness their creative energy in a way that they're not depleting themselves completely. How can they have creative energy for their business and for their partnership? How can they have some left over for their love life at the end of the day or throughout their day or whatever? And so it's a big piece of what I'm working on right now and in, you know, my mastermind that I'm building out in the background and something that I'm really uh, realizing needs more focus and um, more love in my coaching containers. And could you share maybe just a little teaser of like what, like how do you find time? Because I see this in my, a lot of my friendships, honestly, and I've experienced mm -hmm. since in my own life, exactly what you said, where 
yeah, it's almost this, I want more sex, but I don't even know where my libido went. Yeah. 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 And you're 20 something, you know, <laughs> like that's the time, girl. That's like the time where your libido is like up there. It should be rocking it. And so, yeah, what I talk about in a lot of my containers and when you're experiencing an issue like this, ladies out there, if you're listening and you have no libido and your partner's like, what the hell is going on over here? Things that you can do, ways that you can start to increase your libido and feel that attraction for your partner again, that desire for your partner again. There are a lot of little things, but I'll just give you one tip today. How can you start to build more intimacy with your partner that's non-sexual throughout your day, right? Because when you get to the end of the day and you haven't had any sort of meaningful, intimate connection with your partner, oftentimes, especially women, we feel like we're going from zero to a thousand if our partner's initiating sex and we're like what the fuck where is this coming from i haven't even talked to you today like why are you touching me get off you know it's like this almost annoying and so how can you have and feel that intimacy with your partner that it's like foreplay how can you build up your attraction levels throughout your day so you're not just getting to the end of the day and you're like what's going on here i don't want to even touch you does that resonate for you right a lot of the women who I speak with and work with out there experience this. And so what is a meaningful intimate connection and how can you bring more of those into your day? Man, Ben and I have really worked hard on this, really, really worked hard on this because he's a creative as well and an entrepreneur in his own right. And so we both were using all of our juice for something else and not each other. And it's especially if you're a parent out there, parents listening, this is exacerbated by parenthood because you have this extra layer of being in parent mode all the time. For me, I'll say mom mode. I'm always in mom mode. And in order for me to get out of having spit up on my shirt and hair ripped out and scratches on my face, my little daughter clinging on them, my body, it's like, I need to get out of my clothes. I need to dress up like a woman. I need to feel like I'm wanted and desired. I don't want to feel like I'm not a mom. <laughs> you know, I want to feel like a woman, like me. And so that's a whole other layer of feeling desired or desirous. And so these meaningful, intimate connections, what are they? You know, it could be anything for me. I'll speak to my own experience. When I wake up in the morning and my partner, Ben, goes downstairs and makes me a matcha and delivers it to me to my meditation station. So once I'm done with my meditation, I've got my matcha right there. That's like, fuck yes. That's hot. My sexy man went downstairs and made me a matcha first thing, thing, right? I'm already on like, okay, here's my foreplay. It's already beginning. And that's not necessarily an act of service, right? If you know about the love languages, it could be considered an act of service. And it's also just a way that he's showing me he cares about me. And that's a turn on. That's sexy. And so it could be something like that, like making a matcha or, you know, folding your laundry, doing something for you. But it's also, it could be a long, meaningful hug where he comes up to me and looks at me in the face and just looks at me for a minute and holds me. Right? That's more than just like a passing touch. It's meaningful. He takes like a, a minute to two minutes to just look at me and hold me. You know? Or if I'm, if I'm in the kitchen, if I'm cooking something for Sunny, coming up to me, putting his hands in my back pockets and just gripping my ass for a moment or two and like nuzzling into my neck and just getting in there, you know? And not in an annoying way. It's really sweet. And so there are things that like this, if you're sitting on the couch together and he reaches over and starts massaging, wants to give you a foot massage for no reason. Things like this that build up foreplay. I just posted about this yesterday in social media, but you know, in in relationship in a in a at least binary relationship, 
there are often sort of two two different types of people. One type of person is the type of person that needs to have sex in order to feel connected. That's oftentimes the male in a binary relationship. And then there's a the type of person that needs to have intimate connection before they can have sex. They need to feel intimately connected to their partner before they can even go there. And typically that's the female in these in these binary relationships. And that's not always the case. I know a lot of women who are actually the first need to have the sex to feel connected. Um, but for me, I'm I'm the second. I need to have intimacy in order to be able to have sex with with Ben. And Ben needs to have sex in order to feel intimately connected. And so we found that there was a massive gap. And when we had Sunny, our baby, we realized that gap was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so this is when we came back to the drawing board and I had to assess how do I feel intimacy with Ben? How do I get that back? What are the ways in which you know, I, I can start to feel more attracted to him. What would make me feel more attracted to them? What do I need? And so we had to have a really big come to Jesus talk and start to implement these meaningful, intimate connections throughout the day. And it, it works. It really does work. Again, it works if you work it. <laughs> so it's, it's less about asking your partner, what are you bringing to the table? It's more about like, what am I bringing here? What am I bringing to the table? How can I build more intimacy with my partner? Not just what's Ben giving to me. Is he making me my matcha? Is he doing the X, Y, and Z? Da, da, da. Not about that. It's about how can I feel more connected to him? What can I do as well? Can I go up to him, put my hands in his back pocket, grab his, his ass and hold on to him while he's cooking dinner? You know, this is a two-way street. And so if you want it, you got to do it as well. What you're bringing up and what I think is, Clearly, this is what, you know, the majority of people want in binary relationships, but there's that piece of not wanting to advocate for yourself. There's that fear again of like, what if it's too much? What if I'm asking for too much or taking up too much space? Or I've never asked for this. So what are they going to think? Like we've been in this long relationship and suddenly I'm changing it up on them. And I want to talk to you about self-worth because this is something we've talked a lot about. And you mentioned on social media and in other places that one of the biggest things your clients struggle with is self-worth. What are your thoughts on women and self-worth and really anyone that's struggling with self-worth? Well, you touched on a few things in that <laughs> that I'd love to address. Number one is if you're experiencing what you talked about, about like, how do I bring this up? I'm afraid to bring this up. Should I even like, will he be okay with this? Are they going to, you know, those are all, we've talked about this. This is a people-pleasing tendency. And this is something that women especially deal with. This is People-pleasing is an issue that is typically feminine because as women, we are the givers. We want to make everyone happy. We're constantly taking care of everyone. We are, it's the, the cancer archetype, the mother archetype, the caretaker. And so we give, we give, we give, we give, we give. And we're constantly pleasing other people. We, get, we forget to please ourselves. And so there's a layer to that, right? It's taking care of yourself first, <laughs> your wants, your needs, making sure your cup is full before you're out there worrying about your partner, your baby, your other people. Because it's like in, when you're on an airplane, you put on your own max, mask first for ox oxygen. Otherwise, you're not useful, <laughs> right? So this is number one. To my people-pleasing women out there, stop your people-pleasing. I know it's easier said than done, but Start to look at all the ways with which you're putting yourself last. How are you doing that? And it's it's also taking responsibility for that. This is this is your choice. You are choosing to put other people first, and so it's looking at what are the ways with which I'm I'm playing out the victim, the victim mindset, the victim mentality. How am I perpetuating the victim cycle in my life? How can I break that cycle and take ownership for where I'm at? 
take ownership for what I don't have, take ownership for what I'm not saying that I want or need, because it's on you. It's on no one else to give you what you want and you need. Right? So that's the first part. And that's self-worth. That is self-worth right then and there. <laughs> and so this is part A, the people pleasing. And then also, you know, if you're afraid to speak to your partner about things, what I like to say is, think about your job, think about your career. You were in a corporate, you know, corporate place for a while. I was too. And when you're in a job, a nine to five, where you're working for someone else, another company, not yourself, then you have review cycles. You have quarterly reviews, you have annual reviews, you sit down with your manager, like what's going well, where can I improve? You know, this is the sort of a standard process in the corporate industry. And hopefully, even if you're not in the corporate industry, you have some sort of review or reflection cycle for your own business as an entrepreneur. <laughs> and so if we're doing this in business, if, you know, if we're making our career a very important thing in our lives, and so important that we need to reflect on where we're at so that we can shift and change and make adjustments to make it better make our work better, make our life better. Why don't we do that in our relationships? If you've been in a relationship for six years and you're afraid to be like, oh, it's been this way for six years, but I want to try this thing. I'm afraid to mention it because this is how we are, but I want to change. You got to have reviews in your relationships or reflection in your relationship, right? A weekly, a monthly, a quarterly, a yearly, I don't care, whatever the cadence is, but you change, your partner changes and your relationship is going to change. And if you don't have a way to reflect and redirect, then it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You have to be able to reassess your relationship. What are your values? What are your goals? Are you still on the same path? Do you still have the same vision? What's working? What's not working? What can you shift? Right. And so this is sort of a, this is a really important piece of relationship that people miss. They think the relationship is what it is and it will always be that way. And then we take it for granted and we get stuck. That stuckness is what a lot of people feel. Right. Yes. And I, I've been thinking a lot about too, you, you mentioned this, I forget what podcast I was listening to, but you said that one of the questions you asked Ben in the very beginning was like, tell me what's wrong about you. Like, <laughs> tell, like, tell me like, and I, I'm thinking a lot about this. Me and my girlfriend were talking about asking the question like on an early in dating, like, what don't you want me to know? Because I think it goes back to being authentic. It goes back to sharing and then in the first stages of dating, like I just learned the term for it, that limerence where you're just putting your ideal mm -hmm. perfect version out there. And I think that that's a lot of what gets us in trouble because if you're not starting out, if you're starting out from that place of hiding a piece of who you are, it's going to feel so scary to then do it later in relationship. Even when you consciously know, you know, like hopefully if you're in a healthy relationship, that this person does love you. And every time yeah. I've done this with your help too, I've been floored by what happened. Like, like people were just like, my partner was just like, okay, cool, great, mm -hmm. let's try that. I was like, wait, why was I so scared? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, <laughs> great. Yeah, I was just talking to a client of mine yesterday about this. I was just talking to a client of mine yesterday. And have you ever had the experience where you just start dating someone and you're putting, it's like we're an actress in a theater. We're stepping into a new role we're putting on airs and we're doing the things that we think the person wants so that we get them, so that the relationship happens, so that they become our partner, they become our husband, they become our wife, whatever the case is. We do all these things, whether it's like, I'm going to dress like a dress super slutty and like give him sex whenever he wants. I'm going to give him like 20 blowjobs a week. I'm going to, you know, we do the, these types of things. We do other types of things. We're like, 
we pretend and it's not who we normally are, but it's to get the person. And this is the, the beginning phases of the relationship, right? Maybe it's like you start by sending them all these sexy videos of yourself, like you're playing with yourself, you're taking sexy photos. And then five years down the road, you don't do jack shit for your partner. You never send them sexy photos or videos of yourself. And they're like, what's the, where'd that go? Why that stop? And you're like, that's not me. I don't do that. And they're like, what the fuck? Ben? <laughs> so it's like, how with that, you're right. When I started dating Ben, I, I asked him at one of our very first hangouts together. I'm like, tell me what's wrong with you. I want to know all your shit. <laughs> what are your issues? Why did your last relationship fail? What are you carrying forward into this relationship? Because first of all, he just seemed so perfect to me at the time. And I knew that couldn't be true. I knew it couldn't be true. And second of all, because I knew that I wanted to be with him. And so I wanted to know his shit right off the bat. Is it shit that I, I think that I can deal with? Is it stuff that I think we can work through? He can work through? Or is it like too big for me to even like touch? Right. And so authenticity, I know this is the word for you and I, this this authenticity, it's like, who are you really? Who are you really? Not just who are you in the beginning phases of the relationship? Who are you trying to be because you think that's who you want your partner, who, who your partner wants, you, you know, as a partner? Are you trying to like become this version of yourself because that's what they want? It's, it's looking at who are you really? And being authentically that person, because the more and the more and the more authentic that you can be, the more attractive that is. And then you are going to attract someone who's authentically at the same sort of resonance that you are at, and it's going to be the perfect match. But if you're pretending to be someone else, if you're not, if you're not out there being you, you're going to attract someone who's also pretending, who doesn't know who they are either, right? Absolutely. And to your point, I think that this is like such a big, beautiful learning conversation. It's what you started out with, you know, that, that partner in your life who was really influential, and I think I've been thinking about this a lot too, this idea of like, it's almost a case to be like more authentically yourself yeah. than you ever have been in the beginning of that relationship because like turn the dial up. And I, I do, you said this before, and I think that this is true and this is not the case all the time, but if it's your person and it's meant to be your person, they're going to be like, wow, that's hot and sexy. This person mm-hmm. is so confident that they are going to like open up to me without shame and without fear and without pretending like that's what we all want or m- many of us want i know <laughs> even if you don't think you want it you probably did you probably would want it if you experienced it yeah i mean that's true that's the truth of, of relationship like the more you can be who you are and be accepted for who you are and be loved for who you are with all of your dark and dirty shit right it's a beautiful thing i'm listening to this book on tape right now called the existential kink i don't know if you've heard of it but it's so Interesting. And I, I agree with some of what she says and some of it I don't, but she talks about our existential kinks in terms of like, what are the things that we're like experiencing in our life that might be taboo that we're getting something from? You know, like <laughs> one of the examples she gives in the book is take this guy, we'll call him Alex for, for an example. He is, you know, successful. He's been to college. He's got a career. He's going through all the like check marks and he has this deep desire deep down to be taken care of, wants to be taken care of. And he doesn't know that that exists. It's like a subconscious desire. And so he is going through his life and sort of self-sabotaging along the way in order to be like successful and independent and blah, blah, blah. And basically ends up living with his parents and feels all of this guilt and the shame living with his parents because that's not where he's supposed to be at his age and yeah, all of the things. 
But really deep down, there's this desire, this unmet need to be taken care of that he isn't aware of that exists. And so what she says in Existential Kink is, if you can identify the unmet need or the, the desire that's subconscious, and not only identify it, but accept it without shame or judgment or guilt, right? Accept that it's there and that it exists and that it's actually serving you in some way and that you're getting something out of it, which is okay. <laughs> then we can transmute, then we can alchemize that and move on and learn from it, right? And so maybe once he, once he realized that he had that need, then he's like, I'm getting the knee met. I'm, I'm being taken care of in all of these ways. And isn't that beautiful? So I'm not ashamed. I'm not like upset that I'm living with my parents right now. I'm actually really happy because I'm doing something that's satisfying a need that I needed. And once you can realize that, then it's like, Oof, check, <laughs> moving on, you know? And so what she said that I actually disagree with is that we have all of these, these dark and dirty like needs and desires that we actually like and want that are like kinky and weird and freaky. She's like, God must be a freak because I'm a freak and I'm a God and blah, blah, blah. But what I think is actually it's not necessarily the thing. It's the chemical reaction related to the thing. Whether it's a positive thing or a negative thing, we get addicted to the to the thing. It's, it is serving us in some way because we're getting a dopamine hit from it. Scarcity, lack. I'm not making enough money every month. I don't have enough. There's like this anxiety, this like <gasps> this elevated state that we get addicted to that dopamine that comes from that. And even if we don't want to be in lack and scarcity, even if we want to be making more money and we're trying every day and doing our mantras and all of the things to get us there, we're getting something out of the scarcity lack. We're getting a dopamine hit out of being in that place every month. I can't pay rent this month. I can't afford to do X, Y, and Z. Shit, am I going to be able to do this thing? Dopamine, 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 dopamine. So what I think and what I disagree with her on is that we get addicted to the thing. It's not necessarily that we like it and love it and want it and need it. It's that we have a chemical response in our body that makes us addicted so that we actually need it. And until we can figure out, oh my God, I'm getting a dopamine hit from not having enough money in my bank account every month. And that's why I don't have enough money because I'm addicted to the feeling and the cycle. And even though it's a negative thing, I'm addicted to it. It's that realization that then helps us to break the cycle and the thing. So that's where I have a little bit of a, a disagreement with her on the existential kink front. But I think that she's on to something with what she's talking about. And so I know I got on a huge tangent here. I don't know where we started, but <laughs> where did we start? We were talking about, yeah, being your true self in relationship and not pretending. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not pretending. Yeah, what well, you're bringing up that shadow self, right? And I know you love this. You're a Scorpio. You have a podcast also called The Eighth House, which is about sex, love, and death, and money. I do want to talk about with money, too, with you on this subject, because I know personally that Starting my journey as a coach and shifting into the service-based industry after being in advertising, I just thought it really wasn't okay to say like, hey, I want to serve people and I want to make a ton of money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone has that thought. There's so many people that feel the same way you're feeling. Right. And I think, so this is interesting that we're bringing this up because I think the other thing that you you taught me is that I I have been pretending like in so many areas of my life, my love life, my career, when I started just being honest, like I started just opening up about it. I tell other people, other entrepreneurs like, yeah, this is what I'm working on. I want to serve people and I want to make a fuck ton of money and I'm dealing with that. And everyone's like, thank you. Like, you, <laughs> just, you could just feel them saying like, oh, if you said it, it's okay that I feel it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I'm so excited that you you came to that realization and that I, I could have contributed to that in some way. It makes me so happy. 
And I'm going to quote, well, I'm going to butcher it, but my one of my teachers who I miss like fucking crazy, Guru Jagat, she was a very controversial figure in the yoga community, in the Kundalini yoga community, as Kundalini has been controversial in and of itself the past three years. And Guru Jagat was a force to be reckoned with, a force. And what she would say in terms of of this was, it's no longer the case that you have to be on a spiritual path of growth and evolution and sharing valuable tools, like the most valuable tools, right? <laughs> to help people live a more fulfilled and happy life and that you have to be destitute and broke at the same time. No, it is valuable information that we are sharing. We are changing people's lives. And this is also your livelihood. And so you, there's value. You are valuable. What you are doing is valuable. What you are sharing is valuable. And there is an energy exchange that needs to be made there. We do not have to be broke and destitute in order to serve and to help people. We can do both. We can have both and we should have both. If everyone else in the world can make money doing X, Y, and Z, we can make money doing what we love and helping people. And there's no shame in that. And there's no guilt in that. And in fact, that should be celebrated. And I, it, that ties into that self-worth though, because if you feel as though you're worthy and you're valuable, you can tap into that energy. And if you don't, I think it's, it's really hard. And I, it goes back to what you were saying with the addiction. It's just like, oh, like the starving artist trope or like it, you're not right. really helpful to people if you're asking for money or you're a scam artist or you're in it for the wrong reasons. And it is really triggering. And I mean, to be completely honest, I've been triggered. Like, I'm not going to be a hypocrite here. Like, I've had some of those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And you've taught me to really powerful things because when those come up, usually we feel threatened, jealous, and envy. Like, you can be like, me next, go that person. That's incredible. Like, they're doing it so I can do it. That's actually this huge, beautiful body of evidence. But I think it is really, really hard to, like, not get stuck in that lack and not get stuck in that addiction cycle of of basically being a victim. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's all about that. I dealt with this with with my coach when I first started coaching with Marla Mattinson. One of the things that she helped me to see was that I was playing victim in many areas of my life. And what that victim role was there for, I had to I had to sit with my victim, that part of myself. And I had to ask her why she was there. What purpose was she serving? What was she trying to do for me? And when you go that deep with these parts of yourself that aren't necessarily pretty or nice, like if you're feeling jealousy or envy or, you know, looking at what this woman and her coaching business is capable of, she's making millions of dollars and launching all these programs. And you're like, why can't I do that? Why am I not there? What was me? Like, why did nothing ever work for me? You know, you get into that hole, sitting with that part of yourself. Why are you here? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to protect me from? What's the purpose of this victim role that's showing up here? And when you can identify that, it may be different for everyone. Right? But for me, I was feeling like this victim part of me was protecting myself from fear of getting out there and trying things and failing. I was afraid of failing. And so she was protecting me from failing by not even letting me start. I was being small, as small as I could be. And when I acknowledged that piece of myself and why she was there and what she was doing, then I could give her a new role, right? Then I could be like, all right, you used to be like the, you know, the CEO of victimhood. Now you're going to be like my, uh, my inspiration officer, my chief inspiration officer. 
And whoever you see out there that's doing something incredible and amazing, that's going to be our inspiration. You're going to go out there and seek inspiration. What could we be doing? How could we integrate this? How can we, you know, and what do I like about that? What's attractive to me about that thing? What turns me on about that? Because the things that turn me on are the things that I'm going to be able to do well at and share and other people will feel that energy. And then I will be successful no matter what, because I'm being authentically me. And so we have to find out those pieces and those parts of ourselves, why they're there, what their purpose is, and then can we shift? Can we give them a new role? Can we start to see things in a different light? And for the victim, it's oftentimes a hard process because that's a deeply ingrained patterning that we acquire from most likely childhood or you know, even sometimes past lives. And so being tender with yourself is really important, as you know. Right. Because sometimes I felt this and I know a lot of other people have you shame and blame and guilt yourself. You're like, why Why is my ego getting involved? Why can't I get over myself and, and be inspired? But I also think what you're saying, and I, I want everyone to really take this in, because for me personally, when I started actually saying what you're saying in my own version of it, when I started being honest about like, yes, I actually do have these feelings and this is like what I do about it, that was what got me like what I wanted in the first place. Yeah. Like, Well, yeah, because everyone feels the same way. And nobody talks about it. And so in you doing what you're doing and in you um, like being authentically yourself and in you sharing these moments of real true vulnerability and tenderness, you, other people are like, oh, me too. I, I never could put that into words, but she said it. She shared it. I feel seen. I'm not alone. I'm a human being and she is too. <laughs> you know, because what we see is perfection. We see perfection left, right, and center. And so my mission this last year has to be, be I want to be imperfect. I want to share all the gnarly parts of our relationship. I want to share the shit that we're going through. I want to share like, what are the challenges we're facing and how do we get through them? Rather than just like, we're perfect. We're perfect. Everything's perfect. We're perfect. Are you perfect? Because we're perfect. You know, it's hard when we're constantly bombarded with perfectionism. And so if you can be an authentic voice, and this is why I love your friend, Katie, she's a badass. She's authentically herself. And as are you, and you're stepping into this role and you're learning that people want to feel seen and heard and they want to feel like they are okay to just exist and be themselves in their darkest and dirtiest and prettiest and most beautiful versions of themselves. All of it's okay. It's all accepted. It's all normal. So I have a question I'm really excited to ask you that has to do with this. Let's you go. you sent a, a newsletter out probably, I don't know, three or four months ago that was really, really vulnerable. And you were talking about the Kaylee Alyssa app. Mm, yeah. And you said the app is almost, th these are your words, is almost bringing in enough to keep itself afloat. Almost. I need your support to make this happen. Help me keep my dreams alive. So to me, I read that. I was like, oh my God, this feels like, like I had a full body reaction of like, damn, like I'd be so scared to do that. And <laughs> I was so inspired by your bravery. I had that feeling, the connection to you. Of, I've never launched an app, obviously, but I related. How how did you even write that email and press send? <laughs> yeah, it's that's the thing that, you know what? It took me a second. It took me a second to get over my ego. Because, hey, if I'm putting something out there that says, I'm not there yet. I'm not to a place where this is like keeping itself afloat. It's almost like you're admitting that you're not good enough or you're admitting defeat or you're admitting that you're not successful, Right. But then I had to I had to sit with myself and be like, this is my dream. This is what I love doing. This is how I'm serving. I am serving so many people with this app. I'm helping so many people. I see the benefits. I see the impact. People message me on a daily basis. And so if it's this important to me, I have to swallow my pride. I have to swallow my ego. I have to get over myself 
And I have to, I have to level with my community and say, this is what I want to do. And you can help me do it. <laughs> and, and I love serving you and please help me to continue to do that. And so it came from a really vulnerable place, a really um, raw place. And it was a lesson for me because I got such an amazing response from that email. And I got so much support and so much love that it was a lesson for me to do that more. And it really, um, it softened me. And it was another like, I can't be perfect. I can't, I can't be perfect all the time. I have to show these sides of me. I have to show these parts because that's the real, that's the real me. It's the reality of me. I was listening to something that said bravery is the only emotion that can't be faked because you have mm. to do it afraid. That's the only way you're brave. Yeah. Yeah. Is that from Brene Brown? I don't know that it might be because she talks a lot about bravery. And I know yeah. both you were telling me to read Dare to Lead during this period. So I remember when mm-hmm. that email came out that I was like, this is a dare to lead moment. <laughs> yeah. And right. And it was so inspiring. And, and and it really made me, I mean, clearly I already trusted you, but it, it made me trust you more. Well, that feels good to hear. Thanks for sharing that with me. And anyone listening out there, I think that there is this sense where you taught me this too, that there's a way of presenting information that doesn't have to be victim or not good enoughness. That's also vulnerable and honest and powerful. Like it was a powerful email because you were standing in your power. And I think so many of us don't know how to do that, including me. I'll give an example. When I was, we first started our workout together, I was kind of pretending that I'd been in coaching longer than I was because I wanted to be respected. And mm-hmm. I didn't want people to look at me and think she has no idea what she's doing. Why would I hire right. her? And then you said, well, lead with that, own that. Literally be like, I used to coach on burnout. I coach on authenticity now. Like I'm new, like I'm in the perfect place. I was in your shoes, like, you know, 10, like, like not that long ago. Like I'm fresh out of the boat. Like I'm the perfect person for you. I'm the only one that you need right now. And I remember just being shocked because it's the same, it's the same thing just presented so differently. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're owning it and you're not afraid of it. Yeah. It's powerful. It's powerful. And the truth is powerful. <laughs> Honesty is powerful when it doesn't have the tones of victim in there. And so, yeah, I think I loved that moment with you. I loved the beginning of our coaching relationship when you came to me and told me that you wanted to work with CEOs who were experiencing burnout. And obviously that's not you. (laughs) You are. (laughs) Who is that girl? (laughs) Who is that girl? She was, she was playing a part. She was playing a role because you didn't know what you wanted and you were told that this is the direction. This is a direction to go that would be fruitful or successful. And so you were checking the boxes and you had done the trainings and you had gotten the certification. It was just sort of like going through the motion as a lot of people do. We, we go to college, we get the job, we get the 401k, da, 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 and, and then it's just like, we just get stuck and we're there. And so you're in that place where you're like, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing and it's not working. <laughs> and, and it's because it wasn't from an authentic place and it didn't light you up. You weren't turned on by the work you were doing. You weren't excited about it. It was just like, it was just. And so it was so beautiful to go through that process with you, that unfolding of like, let's just start with what turns you on. Let's just start with what gets you excited about life. (laughs) Let's start there. And then this beautiful unfolding, you know, which led to where you are now, which has just been such a joy to witness. And I'm so excited for you and for what you're doing and you know, for those of you listening, it's important to know what lights you up, what turns you on. Because if you're not turned on and excited by what you're doing on a daily basis, you got to make some changes 
you only have this one life <laughs> and you do not want to waste it. And other people can feel that you're not turned on. Other people can feel that you're not in your authentic power place. You know, that's, that's where power comes from. Power comes from when you know who you are, you know what you want, you can speak it clearly and communicate it to your community. That's power. And we can't do that when we're, when we're not turned on and excited about life. Yeah. And I, I just keep thinking about sex when you're talking about this too, because another thing that I want to touch on that, that you really embody is I was afraid to be sexy on social media. I was afraid to even show my midriff, like to do all of these things to cuss, to just be like wild and free and messy and take up space. And I wonder, what is your relationship with social media? Yeah, I love this question. Right now, my relationship with social media is I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. I don't care how many followers I have. I don't care how many followers I lose. I don't care what anyone thinks. (laughs) But I'm putting out there what I feel excited to put out there. That's my strategy right now. And that being said, for a while, it was definitely not my strategy. I was very concerned with what people thought of me and what people thought of what I was posting and how many likes I was getting and what all the things were, what all the metrics were, right? The more skin I showed, if I was in an inversion that showed my ass, I could wear this thing, but uh, like, great. And I got all these hits. Wonderful. I'm just going to do that every day all the time. Now I fucking do that because I want it. I fucking do it because I woke up in my underwear and I'm going to practice in my underwear. And I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. I don't care if you think I'm being slutty. I don't care if you think I'm being sexy and that makes you uncomfortable. I'm not uncomfortable. I'm empowered in my sexuality. I feel sexy and I want to share that right now. So I'm gonna. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and it so, feels so good. It feels so good to be in this place. To be doing it for me and for no one else. Because guess what? I am sexy. I fucking love my body. She's healthy. She's happy. She's strong. And I want to I want to be in this body and I'm proud of her. So I'm going to share it. And I'm also a mom. And sometimes I want to be more modest and I want to wear a Christy Dawn dress. It's very covered up and like little house on the prayer because that's the mood I'm in. And sometimes I want to wear a fucking business suit because I feel like a boss bitch and I convey that to my following. So it depends on how I'm feeling, what I want to share and what I think is valuable, what's helping me and how I want to express myself. That's my relationship with social media right now. And it feels really good. I, I was curious, the last, I would say maybe 10 posts or so that you've done, I felt that energy tenfold. <laughs> yeah. Is there is there something that's like happened that shifted that even more? Or is it just like the natural progression of everything? <laughs> it's the natural progression of everything. And it's also uh, it's also just what's resonating for me in my life right now happens to be resonating for a lot of other people out there. I've been really, really, my relationship with my partner has been like, just so beautiful <laughs> and challenging and hard and messy and lovely and and so I've just been really feeling called to share more of that. And that's been hitting, I think, with a lot of people out there. It's really been resonating. I've, I've had a lot of people reaching out to me and commenting privately, not on the actual post, but um, sharing with me. I'm so glad that you said this. This changed how I am with my partner, or, you know, whatever the thing is. And that is, it makes me feel like how, it, again, what I said is I'm just sharing my experience. I'm sharing what we're learning as we go together. And that's other people's experience too. It's a human experience. And so again, it's about honesty. It's about vulnerability. It's about authenticity. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot about relationship recently and less about business and coaching and money. It's really been about relationship. And like I said, relationship reflects your business and your success. Like we started beginning this conversation. So it's all related, it's all related. Yeah, I'm just struck by how few role models 
that we do have that are modeling long-term pair bond relationships that aren't Disney. It's like, like all the messaging online is like how to get the guy, maybe like how to get over a breakup, but there's not a lot of like how to deal with the fuck boy. There's not a lot of like you meet someone and you love someone and you're both messy freaking humans figuring it out together. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of that, but that's how I was coached. My, when I started coaching with my, my coach, this is a life for me. I believe that coaching is a lifelong relationship. And I signed up to work with Marla when I first met Marla Mattinson, my, my coach, my mentor. It was when I was with my ex boyfriend. She came in and, and tried to help us in our relationship. And man, she was, she was able to sit in there with us, which is saying something because we were a lot. And I knew in that moment that I was going to be learning from her for the rest of my life in some way. And so she has now become a, a very good dear friend of mine and my coach and my mentor. And so when I first started working with her, she was in a place where she was an intimacy expert. That was what she was talking. That was how she was you know, portraying herself in the community was Mala Mountains, an intimacy expert. And then her love life and partner came on board and they started coaching together. And so I started working with both of them and they started shifting gears to work with entrepreneurial couples who are visionaries and love partners together. And so I have had a lot of that sort of conditioning in my training and my coaching and my background, and that infuses into what I'm doing. And the more and the more that I lean into this meanness and this authenticity for myself. And let me just say, I took three years off of coaching and Larissa was the woman that I came back for. I became a mom, COVID hit, and I felt that I was not aligned with what I was offering in terms of my coaching. It was all about it was called make wealthy moves. It was all about like, here are the steps to launch a program and here's how to, you know, make money and do the thing. And I just wasn't aligned with that. It wasn't lighting me up. I could give a shit about that. I want to make money and I make great money and it's not what I want to teach. And so I came back on with Larissa because there was something in her that was attractive to me that I saw that this is the direction I want to head. I want to work with women like this. She's my new ideal client. And and so I I give her credit for bringing me back. And you know the time that I took away, I really did a deep dive into what what do I want to be teaching? Who am I? And what is what is calling me? And and again, lighting me up and turning me on so that I I can offer that. And um, I've just been refining and refining. And and so it's nice that that's felt. It's nice that that's seen. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for bringing me back, girl. I love you. I love, <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> and it's that annual review, right? It's that check-in that you're talking about. And I think it is scary to have something that, that maybe did mean something to you and did resonate for you, then shift. Because I'm sure when you started Wealthy Moves, like you were in it and then you weren't. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to make a shift. And in your relationship too, you know, the with the Make Wealthy Moves, that got started with my very first mentee of all time, Ava Joanna. And she approached me and, you know, I never mentored in my life, but all of the things she came to me with that she wanted help with, I was like, oh, I can do all that. Okay, let's let's try. So I started working with her and then other women started coming to me. And then I was like, I have too many one-on-ones. I got to like do a group thing. So it wasn't ever a conscious creation of my offering. It was like, what do you need? Okay, what do you need? Okay, let me see if I can, you know. And so it became this like Frankenstein. <laughs> This Frankenstein of offerings that didn't feel aligned, but that was like doing okay if I kept going with it. And I and I knew deep down that it wasn't the thing. So I stopped. I stopped doing it. Um, but I also knew that I loved working with women in our capacity one-on-one. And I love affecting great change in their life. And that was like, oh, big, big turn on for me. Like, I love that. You know, I love like relationship and being, you know, client relationship. And oh, it's just beautiful. And I've learned so much of that again through my coach. And so- it took me some time. It took me a break. I had to reassess my wants and needs. Let's look at this in terms of relationship, right? You're in a relationship. You've been in it for six years. 
your wants and needs change. Maybe you're like really desirous of some like kinky sexual experience. Maybe you've never had a threesome and you really want to have a threesome, but you're afraid that your partner's not going to be into it. Right? It's scary. It's scary to be like, oh, I'm kind of a freak and I want to have this experience. Are you cool about it? I never thought I didn't never say it. Pretend that you didn't hear it. It's like, you know, sex, sex and sexual encounters and, and intimate desires and those types of things are scary to bring up. And say you're in a closed relationship and maybe you want to explore an open relationship or say, you know, whatever the case might be. It's like these reflections or these reviews are so vital. Reassessing our own wants and needs when I'm discussing that with our clients or our partners or our employees and how you can pivot and shift and Again, it's just so vital for happiness, for success, for well-being of you and your employees and your relationships. And, and so if you're feeling in a place where we talk about this in our coaching too, but if you're feeling in a place where you're unsure, don't make any moves. Go within, become receptive, listen for the right next move, listen and receive, receive what's coming because it's not something you can command into existence. You have to go into the receptive mode and really do some soul searching and some, some big, big listening. Yeah, so I did that. I've done that a lot. <laughs> yeah, you're also the queen of beautiful, intentional, loving goodbyes. Yes, I love that. Me and, and Kaylee, and, and Kaylee's talked about this in a lot of our conversations, is that we don't have goodbyes. Like We don't have an opportunity to give feedback in a loving way. We don't have an opportunity to close something that usually we just associate goodbye with like some you know shutting down or like some not great emotional reaction. Yeah, the ending of things can be hard and healthy endings. Not a lot of us experience that in life. And I give the example of like a graduation ceremony, right? That's a healthy ending. That's somewhere we get celebrated and sent off in a really positive and loving way. And so again, this is a technique that I, that I've learned through osmosis through my coach and through what she offers and something that was sort of mind blowing for me when I experienced a healthy closure with her. I experienced, um, you know, something that was like, whoa, this is different than I, I've ever been able to, um, I've, I haven't ever had a positive ending in this way where there's no guilt or shame or pressure or anything else associated with, with an ending. And so that has become a massive piece of how I coach and how I lead and how I, I guide and making sure that my containers end in a really healthy loving way and also a way where I am still growing and I get feedback because I want to know what I could have done better. I want to know how I can improve. I'm addicted to growth and evolution. And um, I, it, for me, it's a happy, healthy addiction. And so the more that I can do better and be better, the more I'm going to be able to serve my clients, more effective I'll be at serving my clients. So yeah, I think feedback and endings is vital. So I'm going to change the subject and I want to touch on this. Can you tell us about the Academy of Yogic Sleep and Yoga Nidra? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So you were in my first round of our teacher training. And so um, lots of things that were like shifting and changing and, you know, the very sort of a rough offer and you were a guinea pig round. And it's so beautiful. It's the Academy of Yogic Sleep is a teacher training to certify leaders in industry to become yoga nidra facilitators. So what we found with your group, with the people that came to us in this first round, there were doctors, there were nurses, there were yoga teachers, there were coaches, there were leaders of industry across the board in all realms. And so what we're seeing is that there's a need for this as a tool, as a technique in any industry, and that it can be valuable in any industry. And so the Academy of Yoga Sleep is becoming a teacher training certification program that will give 
leaders of industry the tools they need to affect great change, not only for themselves, but for their clients, for their patients, for whoever it is they're working with. Um, yeah, we also had like a shaman in our group, <laughs> which was really cool, um, a healer who works with plant medicine. And so for those of you who aren't aware of yoga nidra, it's, it's an ancient meditation technique. It's called yogic sleep. And right now in the scientific community, the uh, scientists like Andrew Huberman, who works at Stanford and at the Human Lab podcast, it's having a resurgence and being called non-sleep deep rest. This is actually a term that was coined by Amrit Desai, who's one of the um, disciples of the yoga nidra lineage. And now it's sort of having this, um, this resurgence, but yogic sleep, non-sleep deep rest, psychic sleep, yoga nidra, it's all one and the same. And what it does is it walks you through the layers of the body. And in, in yogic philosophy, these layers are called koshas. And we move from the very physical, visceral, external layer of the body inward to sort of our bliss layer, our layer where we realize that we're more than the body, our, where we can identify with something greater than ourselves. And it's a beautiful process. And it's become a pivotal part of my life and what I do. And it's quickly growing. And so, yeah, I, I created a teacher training. I launched it last year. Larissa was a part of that group. And we're now um, going to be running this twice a year. And every time we run it, asking for feedback, asking for, you know, how we can make it better and giving our graduates a really beautiful ending and a send off. And we're working on also a alumni group where we can continue to help with script writing and promoting our graduates out in the world. So what work they're doing and featuring them in our community, in our social world. Uh, we really want to be elevating the people that graduate from this program and not just being like, okay, good luck, have fun. But we wanted to create this um, alumni group so that we could really put them out in the world because we believe in this work and we know that it will change lives and we want more people to see it and to access it and to experience it. And so we, we want to help to amplify now the message of our teachers once they graduate and their work in the world, whatever that is. As an aside, I just want to let everyone know I... I've done talk therapy for years and I, I love it. I'm, I'm a huge advocate of it. And I found yoga nidra and there's something so subconsciously healing about it because you're literally reprogramming your brain. And I love that it's this felt creative like process that feels really, really, really spiritual. And so I, I just want to throw that out there that if you want that really added extra layer, like I'm becoming obsessed with things outside of talk therapy you know, whether that's plant medicine or somatic, and this really falls within the category of that. And so I would just say, try it, try mm -hmm. it and, and see how it feels for you. It, it really is a transformative experience. Yeah. And there's zero barrier to entry with. So if you're someone who's nervous about meditating or, you know, is not able to sit and meditate, this is beautiful because it's a guided experience. You just lay, lay down and listen. And if you can't lay down, you can sit up and listen and that's it. And so Oftentimes what happens when you're new to the practice and you fall asleep, you're going to fall asleep maybe the first 10 times I did. I would lay down and then I would hear my teacher say, and now roll over to one side and sit up. And I was like, I thought we were just laying down. What's going on? But I had fallen asleep the entire practice. <laughs> and so just know if you are new to the practice, that is a possible experience. The goal of yogic sleep is actually not sleep. We're using the body's natural and innate mechanisms of moving towards sleep to get to that like ethereal realm, the bardo, where we're almost asleep, but we're not quite there. That's the space that we're able to access our subconscious mind. And that's where all of our patterning and programming that is impacting our waking, walking realities, how we relate, how we communicate, that's where it all lives. And so if we can access the subconscious mind in a way that, that we are super relaxed and safe, 
and we can just get in there and then we can like take out the negative samskaras, the negative patterns, the negative processes. And then we can like really change our mind and it's effortless. It's literally effort. You're laying down. It's all you got to do. And so my partner, Ben, um, is an ex uh, special forces, British military and was in multiple tours of Afghanistan and Iraq and has definitely experienced trauma and held a lot of PTSD. And one of the main reasons I got so into this beautiful practice is because he started doing it with me. I was leading them when, when I lived in Los Angeles, I was leading yoga nidras like once a month and in my community and um, recording them and putting them online. And he would listen every single time I did one, he would lay down and take it with me. And I saw, I didn't expect anything. I didn't know. But I saw once he started doing this with me, whoa, this is changing him in a big way, big way. He was, he had some of the most beautiful experiences. And I, I realized this is big. This is big. He, who also has done talk therapy and it did not work for him because it just re-stimulated all of the emotions and the traumas for him. He got so frustrated with it. He, who has had no success in any other way to be able to move through these traumas, was able to move through them and release them and tell them about, tell them to me and share them these stories with me that he wasn't previously able to. And so for me, that was like, this is, this is big. I, I need to share this. I need to, I need to do something because not only do I love this and feel this personally, and now I'm seeing it in him. And if this is working for him, who would have never found yoga Nindo in the first place? This is like a, you know, to someone who is in the British military as a war vet, they don't know, oh, yoga Nindo, I'll try that. It seems out there. It seems woo-woo. And so my goal with the Academy of Yogic Sleep is now to bridge the gap between science and spirituality. I want people, I want all the ex-military war vets to come to this practice. I want the scientists to come to this practice. I want the yogi people to come to this practice. I want them to see that this is one and the same. It's not just a woo-woo practice that you know I can offer to get people meditating. This is impacting great change. If this can relieve Ben a literal trauma that he's been holding in his body for whoever knows how long, this can help anyone. And so that's my goal with this program. Okay. I have two <laughs> closing questions that I want to ask you. Right. What is something inauthentic you recently let go of? Well, I'm not wearing makeup right now. I don't know if you can tell. Well, you're glowing. Whole- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, my nose is up in the camera. I actually texted Larissa before this. I'm like, are we on camera? Do I need to like get ready for this? But I have not been wearing makeup now for almost a month. And, you know, the last week and a half, I was on vacation in Tahiti. So it's easy to not wear makeup somewhere like that. But I don't even have it with me. <laughs> So that has been liberating. Not to say I'll never wear makeup again, because I like putting on some red lipstick and feeling really sexy and hot and going out on the town. But also, I feel like it's a piece of me that when I look at my daughter, when I look at Sunny, I'm like, she doesn't need makeup. She's radiant. Her skin glows. She's fucking beautiful. I don't want her to learn that she has to paint her face every day and hide her natural skin and beauty. And so I just kind of like, I'm, I'm learning through her and what I want her to experience to be for life. How I've treated myself is not exactly what I want for her. And also just what society has told me that I need to do isn't what I have to do. And it's not what she has to do. And so I think that's a piece that I'm, I'm still working on releasing, but I've been playing with it and it feels really nice. Speaking of r- relatable content, I think about that so often. Of like, as I identify as a woman, but like, 
what are parts of femininity do I love? Do I want to shave my legs? Do I want to wear makeup? Do do I want to care about these things? And that is a very interesting place to sit. There's a lot of things we women do, like armpit shaving, leg shaving, eyelash tenting, eyelash extensions, whatever, you know, uh, uh, teeth whitening, photons and boob enhancements, like thinking all <laughs> the crazy things that we're doing to our bodies. You know, waxing your vagina, you know, like all the maintenance and upkeep and like, oh, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. There's so much you can get roped into. But yeah, what feels good to you? What do you like? What do you enjoy for you? Not for anyone else. Amen. What is something that feels super authentic that you've introduced into your life recently? Hmm. Something recent that feels super authentic. I don't know if there is anything new right now. I think it's just that what I mentioned earlier, that really leaning into my relationship at the moment, really feeling what's going on with my partner and our co-creation, what we're co-creating. And that has been just feeling really amplified. It's not new, but it's like taking a new shape and a new form for us. And I know that you mentioned you felt that and I'm feeling that. And that's been a really prominent energy for me. So not necessarily new, but different in terms of what we're doing how we're relating and how we're sharing how we're relating. I know that for me, at least, it feels so healing and inspiring and just relatable and inhuman. And I so appreciate everything you put out there into the world. And if everyone hearing this, go follow Kaylee on Instagram, Kaylee Lissa, KayleeLissa.com, and then the Kaylee Lissa app that you can download, you know, on all the platforms. And let me know if there's anything that I'm missing. Um, <laughs> you got it all. I got it all. And I love you so much. And thank you so much for being so vulnerable and authentic on Seriously Authentic. Oh, I love you too. I just adore you. Thank you for having me. And I can't wait to, to listen to all the other amazing episodes you got going on. Thank you. Speak to me from your darkest hour. Run to Wait.